here and now. Hick et nunc. Sometimes the only thing you need to do to foster a community is be present in the here and now. And sometimes all it takes for a community to crumble is one person's absence. Hick et nunc, or HEN for short, is a digital art marketplace that was built by a single founder and plenty of community assistance. There's a whole lot to get into about NFTs and digital art on blockchains, but what you really need to know is that if the biggest NFT marketplaces are like a royal gala, then HEN is that experimental underground party. It popped up out of nowhere and rapidly achieved what OpenSea and many other copycats struggle to maintain, a large, active, resilient, and productive community. Even stranger, Hen was unique in that it did not offer any type of rewards to its users on launch. It also had not taken a penny in venture capital funding. Hicket Nunk didn't even have a founding team, just one creator, Raphael Lima, who designed the NFT marketplace. Despite all of this, Hen grew to be ranked 12th in the NFT marketplaces online, boasting 69 million in trading volume, over 3 million sales through 2021, and it more than doubled the number of active wallets on the current largest Tezos marketplace, Object, with nearly 7K daily active users. In short, Hen exploded and became one of the most discussed and widely used digital marketplaces in just five months, attracting experimental artists, a brazen art thief, and some ingenious community members. So how did Hicket Nunk pull it off? And why did it come crashing down just a few months later? Answers to all of these questions and more on the first episode of the Community Consult Podcast. Hick at Nunk. In tech, the stories that we tell of success often fall into something called the great man theory. Someone is born with natural skill and leadership qualities, and they single-handedly combat the odds and succeed. Think of Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, Jeffrey Bezos, Vitalik Buterin. Even when we don't know the origin story of a project, we supplant our own fantasies. Satoshi Nakamoto, for example, the unknown founder of Bitcoin, the problem with the great man theory is that it's not very replicable and correspondingly not very useful for those trying to understand and succeed in growing a successful project. That's why the story we're going to share with you about Hicket Nunk may seem a little different from what you've heard in the past if you've read up on the topic. But no matter who is telling the story of Hen, we'll start with introducing you to Hen's founder. Rafael Lima. Rafael Lima, the founder of Hicket Nunk and the sole owner of all the intellectual property and revenue from the platform, 
Raphael coded the initial prototypes of the NFT marketplace. But in the beginning, it was intended to be much more. We don't know much of the biography of Raphael, so instead we'll look to what Raphael himself has published via Twitter and Medium, sharing tidbits of his early thoughts to get a clue as to what his intentions for Hicketnunk were. Raphael's first public communication from his Hicketnunk 2000 Twitter account was on March 1st, 2020, which shared a 240-slide lecture from philosopher Manuel de Landa titled A Thousand Years of Nonlinear History. It critiqued constructions of society, capitalism, and other concepts that shape Western thought. I think it's useful for us to spend some time digging into this for two reasons. One, it informs us as to how Raphael was thinking about what he was building. And two, it gives us a framework for critiquing Hicketnunk that is useful for evaluating whether Raphael succeeded in his goal. Okay, let's dive in. Delanda wonders how communities, specifically those in urban centers and cities, can help dismantle and replace uh, harmful ideologies uh, that dominate our thought. And he talks about cities like characters in a story. In a good book, one character's actions drive the story by the way they affect another's. Delanda thinks this is a useful way of analyzing things. How are actors meshed and networked together? How does one's actions catalyze or influence or start specific processes? Both in a macro sense, like the decisions an urban planner has influencing how a city block is used, for example, and the micro. For example, when he talks about language, He's concerned with the literal sonic waves constructing language and how sounds influence and build up in communities like sediment in soil. Delanda suggests thinking this way allows us to change how we view things. For example, the view that being at the top of a food chain is somehow the dominant position, when in fact the top of the food chain is the most expendable part of an ecosystem. It's the smaller underlying productive parts that are the most crucial. 19 days later, Raphael publishes a Medium article titled Rearranging Architectures, Terraforming Autonomous Communities. The article announces three things. First, a lab, Hicketnunk 2000, a decentralized app called Hicketnunk, and a technology, the Ungrund Oracle. The lab was, well, it was just Raphael. Hoping to publish a white paper and a roadmap later, Raphael wrote that, quote, we would experiment with software architectural designs. Hicketnunk was said to be a, quote, accessible application which enables the creation and exchange of decentralized digital assets. Raphael's prototypes go on to win the Tezos and Coinlist hackathon for the technology component, the Ungrund Oracle infrastructure. 
It lets users interact with smart contracts using his infrastructure. And the Tezos Foundation, a fund that manages money to grow the Tezos ecosystem, followed up with a grant to support his work. Perhaps instantly misunderstanding what Raphael was building, the Tezos Foundation press release reads that Hicket Nunk was to be geared towards the, quote, esports community. But we could tell from his earlier blog posts and articles that it was always a bigger picture than that. Through to November, Raphael develops additional technologies relevant to his project from bridging, IPFS, microfunding protocols, digital asset swapping, and smart contracts. It doesn't all work perfectly, but a year after Raphael links to that Manuel Delanda lecture, Hicketnunk officially launches its mainnet, allowing the trading of NFTs. And that same month, Raphael shows his face on a vertical crypto art video where he discusses that Hen is about using blockchain's inherent uncensorability and transparency and applying that into a governance experiment, what he calls a liminal space for experimentation in art, where a self-sustaining creative economy can thrive. Raphael did not work alone for long. Hen's powerful ideological brand, stark aesthetic, and authentic language seemed to be working to inspire people to try out the site and join the Discord. The height of the environmental criticisms of other NFT platforms pushed more and more artists into investigating Tezos for their low carbon footprint. At the same time that the rising prices of other NFT trades meant many folks wanted a piece of the action. For context, the CryptoPunk floor was 89 ETH around this time, and the Bored Ape NFT floor was 49 ETH. There was money to be made trading digital assets, but Hicketnunk had an artistic vision and authenticity that encouraged more than the usual NFT trader crowd to join in. AI artists like Francis Johnny Lemercier and Turkey's Memo Acton adopted Hen and Tezos and abandoned Ethereum as their work required computational power that was simply not ethical to perform within Ethereum's proof of work network, in their words. Kevin Abosh tuned in and more. The flow of artists encouraged community members to double down. Some, like Django Bits, already were early adopters and advocates of the Tezos blockchain that Hen was built upon. Others, like community member Andre Venancio, joined because of the community of artistic mentors and creators in the space that were interested in minting, quote, green NFTs on Hen. In development, portfolio pieces often are a crucial component of your resume, so the prospect of being able to profit from your digital creations was widely appealing. What's incredible is that Raphael does not plan out a significant volume of, quote, community engagement events. There are no formal offers of payment or financial rewards for contributing. The only community development events are the controversial Hickathon hackathons, which we'll discuss more shortly. 
there's no leaderboard or Discord bots trying to create habit-forming behaviors. What Hen did have was the following. A Tezos fountain, where new users could fill out a form, and as long as they submitted some verifiable artwork, they could get some Tez to start minting. A polls channel in the Discord to poll users about features, ranging from what feeds were people looking at the most to whether they liked the new font. A diversity of largely functional community channels themed around creator types, language, NFT genres, most with a broad no-promotion rule to keep the conversation focused on artwork, not on individuals shilling other projects. And a small selection of site contribution channels populated by people providing feedback or, in some cases, legitimate code contributions to the site. Some of these contributors take on hours of work every day. Community leaders emerge, like Violeta Lopez, UFFD, Rodrigo Cushino, Tez Cushino, and Amelie Maya. Developers like Andre, Vector, and Marching Square begin focusing on speeding up Hen's infrastructure, polishing UI, and building core features like interactive objects. A small experiment swiftly sees what many fully-fledged well-funded projects only dream of an organically generated community united around a powerful brand and ideology working extra hours for free to add features speed functionality and safety tools to the online marketplace of hen Nunk really begins to exemplify what a powerful community of engaged users can accomplish together. Many low or no cost digital assets start to proliferate, encouraging innovation and the sharing and collecting of artwork without an explicit expectation of profits. This allows people to start using Hen for more creative exploration. The Tezos fountain and low fees mean that there is no financial barrier to entry for prospective artists in using the platform. The group of developers volunteering their time to contribute quickly rise to prominence in the Hen community as they deliver user-focused features. Driving the artistic innovations are a slew of experimental projects with digital asset minting. User Macchio135 deploys the first interactive token known as the Magician. Mr. Doob, a renowned developer, implemented a 3D engine using JavaScript on Hen and then deployed an SVG game to the site. Andre Venancio added 3D object compatibility to Hen. Contributors Pichiste, Vector, Goran Sandstrom, are not only building the web application with Raphael, but advertising the site, creating art, 
being active in the Discord and community channels. The numbers follow as well. Picket Nunk begins to overtake the largest NFT marketplace, OpenSea, in daily active users in late April of 2021. And by May, had reached total sales of over 4.2 million US dollars. In June, DAP Radar writes that Hicketnunk processed 2.75 million US worth of transactions in just 30 days. And in October 2021, just before the network would close a month later, that number was up to 5.14 million. The Discord and web application were thriving. Folks would come in and ask for help, troubleshooting their minting. Active community members would help troubleshoot, but often also encourage people to contribute themselves. This was a collaboration after all. It was rare for Raphael to ask for help directly, though some individuals were approached, like Violetta, who became an incredibly active member helping in Discord and particularly starting to contribute to moderation, front-end web design, and concept and vision with Raphael directly. The community members would onboard new artists, create channels dynamically to respond to community needs, ban people breaking the rules, control spam and bots, and host community events. Twitter spaces about pixel art PR statements around bugs and new features, and more, and became the dream of most founders, a community helping build themselves up for free. In fact, in reviewing the extent to which the community was working to better Hen, one only needs to look as far as the polls channel. Market research and gathering user feedback are some of the most critical activities for any project. If you don't understand who you are building your product for, what your users want, what problem you're solving, and how your solution fits into the market, you simply cannot build something useful. The Hen community, and the user Violet Forest in particular, ran nearly daily polls allowing the community to share feedback. Things ranging from non-technical feedback like, do you like the new font? To, do you run your own IPFS node to pin your collection? Financial questions like, would you guys spend the same amount, more or less, on physical merch versus NFTs? Or operational questions like, should I close the giveaways channel? This kind of engagement, when it was tied to the fact that the user also had Discord moderation rights, allowed the team building Hen a constant flow of user feedback, consistent, clear view into what the community wanted, and a way for community members to feel like they were shaping the project, even if they weren't as active as the super users listed above. So the community was not only defining features and UI elements that they wanted, but helping to code the actual web application back-end and front-end, advertising the project, running events, and more. That isn't to say the community didn't face its share of challenges. 
However, the way they pulled together to handle them was another indication that this was not just a flash in the pan. It was a durable, committed group. When Hen rose to popularity, bad actors saw their chance to take advantage. A rise in something called copy minting, essentially taking another's artwork, saving it, and reminting it as your own to fool people into buying it from you instead of the real artist, kind of took off in Hen. Users like Django Bits, Vector, Marching Square, and UFFD went to work creating huge lists of wallets, engaging in copy minting, developing a ban system that forced copy minters to constantly use new wallets, allowing it to be relatively clear whether an artist had a long-standing, authentic participation in Hen, or if it was just a one-time copy minter. Community members would even manually audit the new mints to blacklist copy minters, an intensive process, but one indicating an incredibly high commitment to the community by the community. On Remembrance Day, November 11th, 2021, the hen front end suddenly disappeared. The Hick at Nunk 2000 Twitter had a single tweet, the smart contract for the marketplace, and a single word in the bio, discontinued. Raphael Lima had threw in the towel. In the confusion that followed, the hen app as we knew it collapsed and a number of successors sprung up. Tezos folks quickly nabbed the extremely popular object moniker for hen NFTs and appropriated it into object.com. A number of the team working day and night on the software development of hen moved on to versum.xyz. Others flocked to Teya, a site that said it had evolved from the Hicketnunk platform. What happened here? Why have none of the successors been able to capture the vibrancy of the Hicketnunk community? Was Raphael just overwhelmed? Or was there more at play here? The answer may surprise you. The truth is, there's plenty of evidence for why Raphael may have been overwhelmed. The developers working on the platform often said that working with Raphael was difficult. People on different time zones, language barriers, and the lack of clarity for the project led to operational issues. Although the project had garnered wide support, these little pieces of friction built up. As despite all the talk of decentralization, this was, in fact, still one person's project with one point of decision-making. Raphael decided what help to accept and what not to accept. Naturally, this was running against the brand the project built with the community, 
and the community let their displeasure be known. Although the volunteer team had created a culture that was highly dialed in and valued community feedback, much of that feedback was never implemented or not implemented as fast as the community wanted. A common problem for sure, but negative feedback can take its toll. Those close to him described Raphael as working 24-7, figuratively. Raphael was tired and felt backed into a corner. His own development team was getting frustrated at the lack of structure, collaboration, and processes. He was frustrated that people kept trying to turn this project into something that resembled a Silicon Valley tech startup. His vision was for an anti-capitalist space of artistic production that would counteract ideas powering the Western hegemony. People started making memes comparing Raphael to Bolsonaro. Internal disagreements about who was responsible for the maintenance of certain libraries, like the indexing function crucial to Hen, led to only more strain. Who could really blame Raphael for feeling overwhelmed in these circumstances? The thing he created was being built upon too quickly, and his vision was seeing success, but both the human and computational infrastructure required to run Hen was buckling under the weight. The second contributing factor to the decline of the Hen community was a lack of DevOps for the volunteer contributors to the code base of Hen. This is a key example of why having infrastructure, even for volunteer or unofficial community contributors, is important for fostering any open source community. Although in the renaissance of Hen, the feeling that anyone could contribute and the fact that nobody was engaged as a contractor or employee probably contributed to this feeling of an anti-capitalist, subversive project, the reality was that this wore down the working relationships between the people contributing to the project and Raphael. There was no task management software. Only GitHub was used. No DevOps or continuous integration and continuous deployment expertise was brought in. Requests to implement such processes were rejected by Raphael. The truth is, one can understand his resistance to a degree. Raphael never wanted to run a tech company. He never endeavored to create a valuable startup that would threaten to dominate the NFT industry. He wasn't trying to entice and did not accept any venture capital money. He insisted that his project had to resist the Western capitalist influence of money and those trying to, in his words, colonize the project. And I don't want to belittle this manner of thinking. There are endless intelligent critiques of venture capital money, capitalist business models, and more. It is not unreasonable to suggest that the further that Hen moved to resemble those Silicon Valley-inspired startups looking to cash in on the NFT craze, the less it would resemble 
the very culture that grew the community in the first place. But Raphael did build something profitable, immensely profitable. Everything swapped on Hen had a 2.5% fee attached, putting at least a million US dollars worth of Tezos in a wallet held by Raphael alone in less than a year of operation. Although we don't know the actual profits, the fee was to be used to fund and develop the project. However, development costs were limited. The project ran on decentralized infrastructure benefiting from the low fees of the Tezos blockchain. The staff were all volunteer, with some of the highest contributors only being paid around 600 Tezos total for four months of essentially full-time work, and only transferred by Raphael on an arbitrary basis. I can't help but recall the lecture by Manuel de Landa posted by Raphael in the early days of the project. I recall that de Landa emphasized that rather than being concerned with hierarchies, status, and power relationships in an ecosystem, a better model would be to look at the material relationships that produce an ecosystem. In this case, who is writing the lines of code? How are people's thoughts and desires and hopes being used by Hen to create the ecosystem? How is artists' creativity being used, minted to add value to the network? In many ways, I think, the philosophy of looking at the raw materials and productive elements of how an ecosystem is formed would indicate that adopting more project management tools and DevOps workflows would be something that would take care and assist those individuals in collaborating on the project in a decentralized way, rather than something that would destroy it. Instead, Raphael left himself as the single point of decision-making for pull requests, task prioritization, even compensation for all of the work of the community members the top of the food chain, if you will. Another key point of tension predating the end of Hen was a series of serious vulnerabilities in the HEN network, chiefly the digital art heist known as the HEN exploit. On June 28, 2021, it became public knowledge that a logic error in the smart contract allowed an attacker to steal NFTs from the marketplace. The team responded by freezing activity on the platform but over a grand of stolen artwork was lifted from Hen, and nearly 2,000 US dollars a day was lost to the site being shut down. The user, no rules just feels, 
estimates the total losses to artists of around 57,000 US dollars a day. Strangely, the hen exploiter themselves came forward and did an AMA on the vertical crypto art Discord server. Raphael would eventually make a statement about the exploit, claiming that nobody assisted him, only the hen exploiter assisted him. All in all, the exploit was fixed without the same kind of catastrophic losses that we've now become accustomed to in crypto when a hacker vulnerability makes the news. So why was this digital art heist such a damaging point in the story of Hen's decline? Well, this is where things get a little spicier. On June 13th, 2021, the team was made aware internally of the exploit. That's two weeks before the public hack. Internal Discord conversation identified numerous courses of action to resolve the vulnerability and protect users. Warning users about the vulnerability, halting swaps or minting, using a new swap contract or limiting the contract's functionality, and more were floated to the team of volunteer developers and Raphael. But Raphael urged the team to keep things quiet. Don't make the vulnerability public. Raphael would have something ready by June 18th, he said. An external auditor would review the code. Despite an intense distaste for this approach, Raphael did succeed in ensuring nobody in the broader community learned about the bugs, except for a small thread in which he mentioned a possible exploit, but reassured users that they are safe if they canceled their swaps. This was June 16th. On June 26th, the hen exploiter, or exploiters, began their operation, and malicious swaps continue until June 28th, when Raphael posts about the hack and everything goes public. So, plenty to criticize here. The team failed to prevent the hack from a known vulnerability, and it failed to safeguard the community in advance. This led to a huge rupture in trust, with some of the most dedicated, productive contributors to the project breaking ties or outright leaving the project at this time. One can also imagine why the development team, already plagued by the lack of DevOps, felt that it was a slap in the face when Raphael claimed that nobody helped him with the exploit. The exploit marked the final summer of the HEN project, and as winter approached, we saw the pressure and dysfunction build, trust break, and the community ultimately collapse from the top down as Raphael made the unilateral decision to close the project. The Hick at Nunk project is the perfect case study for the first episode of the Community Consult podcast, a story with a beautiful vision, a successful organic community, incredibly dedicated, hardworking community members, and some extremely operational hard lessons learned 
from its ultimate decline. We think some of the key takeaways are these. One, an open source project is never one person. It requires an ideal behind which you can rally others to donate their time. And you better believe it will require a lot of donated time if you want to go into something like this without fundraising. Two, if you are not willing to build processes to scale DevOps and task management alongside scaling your user growth, you end up with two problems. First, the community expectations and needs outpace your team's capacity to develop, causing community losses and negative sentiment. And second, your devs will not be happy, especially if they are donating their time and you will lose the backbone of the open source project. Three, it is crucial to set clear expectations around payments, compensation, hours worked, and more, even for your most dedicated community members. A community engagement plan is essential to ensuring your most dedicated members keep sticking around and don't leave the project when you need them most. Thanks so much for listening. We're going to be making plenty more episodes, researching and sharing what we learn about fascinating communities and the pivotal stories in how they grow. If this is content you like, please follow us and tell your friends and colleagues. If you have some feedback, ideas for future episodes, want to fact check us, or are interested in how Community Consult could help you grow your project's community, reach out to us directly at hello at communityconsult.xyz. I also wanted to give a special thank you to the Hicketnunk community members who made it such a vibrant space online, who compiled a lot of the research in advance, and uh, many of whom uh, agreed to speak with Community Consult to share their perspective. So uh, as with many online projects, uh, Community Consult couldn't happen without your assistance. And really looking forward to making more of these deep dives. If you want to reach out to us once again, it is hello at communityconsult.xyz. I'm Colin Zarsour, and we'll talk to you next time.